Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. My favorite scripture says, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Ascribe to the Lord. Man, how you guys doing? Doing good? All right. Well, hopefully you're better by the time it's done. I, I, if you don't know me, if this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Mark Thornton, and I love Jesus. I got one wife, three kids, and no pets. All right? So just to clarify, I don't dog sit or cat sit or none of that stuff. But I'm excited that you're here first Sunday of the month, 2021. Amen? And I know some of us are, uh, there you go, some of us are really glad that we made it through 2020, right? But come on, honestly, there was never a doubt. The Bible says that God always finishes what he started. Come on, he who began a good work in you, he's faithful and he's able to bring it to fruition. So it was never a doubt. And uh, I get to minister to the football players every now and again. And I tell them, you know what? God allows certain things in your life because if he didn't, you wouldn't pray. So if we prayed more, maybe we got less drama. I'm not just, Mark, that's not biblical. I don't know. I don't know. Well... Hey, if you're watching uh, online, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and we're excited that you are here. And uh, over the next six to eight weeks, we're going to be in a series where we talk about practicing uh, the spiritual disciplines, prayer and uh, fasting and, and, and scripture. And this morning, I get to talk about worship, amen, worship and the spirit, the practice of responding to God with faith and gratitude and praise. And so I want to encourage you this morning, buckle up. Right? Get your phones out. You're probably going to have to take pictures of the screens because your pens might not move as fast as my mouth is going to be moving this morning. But I don't want you to miss a thing. Amen? So let's talk about worship for a minute. If I said the statement, everybody worships, would you say true or false? True. True. Everybody worships. What about the atheists? What about the pagans? What about the agnostics? Everybody worships. So consider this. People pour their time, they pour their energy, they pour their money, they pour their heart into those things that they value the most, which means they worship. Everybody worships. Now, they might not be worshiping God, but you worship something or you worship someone. So Pastor Louis Giglio from uh, Passion Church in Atlanta, he gives this kind of definition or in trying to give a definition, he says this. It's going to be on the screen. It says, all day long, we give our time, our energy, and affection to something or someone. Day by day, we declare our allegiance. So in other words, we worship. Worship is about what we value the most. Not just for the religious within the church walls. Worship is the core activity of the human soul. We were created with a massive capacity to exalt the creator. We have in our hearts that are, we we are created with a massive capacity to exalt the creator. We have hearts that are genetically bent on worship. But what is essential is that we choose wisely worshiping what is ultimately worthy of our lives, both now and forever. And he ends this particular definition with this one statement. He says, worship is our response to what we value the most. Worship is our response to what we value the most. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. I love that. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. I was going to use the word, so we're supposed to binge watch God. 
But binging is only for a short period of time. We've been called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. And I'm sure that most of you in the room or those of you who are watching online, right, you probably already understand this, but as a reminder to some of you and maybe a form of revelation to others, I'm going to say this statement. I want you to catch it. Write it down. Take a picture. True worship has less to do with singing and more to do with how we order our entire lives in response to the majesty, the goodness, and the love of God. True worship has less to do with singing and more to do with how we order our entire lives, not just a portion of our lives, but our entire lives to the majesty and to the goodness and to the love of God. Now, I make a statement all the time, and some of you probably like, come on, find a new analogy, Pastor Mark, but I'm not because it works, right? So every manufacturer who creates a product creates that product with a specific purpose in mind, right? And, and every manufacturer, when they create the product, generally they give you a manual that shows you how to best utilize that particular product. So proud of my wife. So we just got a new used car, right? And so we were asking some questions, I think, to Keela because uh, she sold us the car. And instead of asking Keela, I was like, I'm just going to look in the book. I was like, ask my girl. Man, if we would just do that as believers, just look in the book. Because God has given us a manual. Amen. So, so who's, who's the question? Who's the manufacturer of mankind? God. So then quit asking Dr. Phil and Oprah and... Ellen and everybody else, because God is the manufacturer of mankind. Who's the manufacturer of marriage? God. So you're looking to this way or you're looking to that way. Look to God. The government can't define marriage for you because the government didn't create it, right? You have to look to God. Who's the manufacturer of worship? God. It wasn't Hillsong. I know, shock to some of you guys. It wasn't Bethel. It wasn't Maverick City. It wasn't Maranatha. Some of you are like, Maranatha? Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, it wasn't integrity music. It was none of those. So here's the thought. If the Bible is the instruction manual that God has given us to help us maximize the product that he has made available to us, wouldn't you say that it's a good idea that we make sure that our expression and our discipline of worship is biblical? Yes. Say it again. If the Bible is the instruction manual, and it is, that God has given us to help us maximize the product which he's made available to us, wouldn't you say that it's a good idea, a great idea that we make sure our expression of worship is biblical? Yeah. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about, is a biblical expression of worship. Will you pray with me? Hallelujah. Father God, again, we're grateful, Lord, that you're an awesome God and a faithful God. We're grateful for this and other opportunity that you've given us that we can enter your gates with thanksgiving and enter your courts with praise. Heavenly Father, you've made a way for us to come boldly yet humbly before your throne of grace with our petitions, our thanksgiving, our requests, and our praise, and even inquiring, God, that you would show us, Heavenly Father, what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, and so this morning in this space, Lord, have your way. Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. Help me to articulate whatever it is that you would have me to say, and I pray that you would give everybody under the sound of my voice ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to receive what thus saith the Lord. And God, God, we love you. We bless you. We expect you in this place. Do what you want to do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about worship. The first example of worship seen in the Bible, first example, is found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, when Cain and Abel worshiped the Lord with their offering. You're like, Mark, I read the story. It says they gave an offering. Your offering was worship. When you gave in the offering today, that's a form of 
worship because you're giving God what means the most to you, giving back to God. So that was the first example that we have of the Bible and worship. And I'll come back to that scripture a little bit later. The first mention of worship in the Bible, which had absolutely nothing to do with singing and is my personal pound-for-pound greatest example of biblical worship in the Bible, is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 2 through 5. And we read, it says, Then God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. Then we'll come back to you. We will worship. First time in the Bible that the word worship is mentioned had nothing to do with a song, nothing to do at all. So let me make or try to clear up a few things that I'm going to try to attempt to unpack throughout this message uh, today. Uh, If I say something you don't like, just look around me, see Jesus, all right? If I say something that you do like, I still need to look around me and see Jesus, amen? You might not agree with it, but the Bible says test everything. Hold on to the good, amen? First statement, worship is not a suggestion. Worship is a commandment. Worship is not a suggestion. Worship is a commandment. You you won't find anywhere in the Bible where it suggests that you worship. We are commanded to worship. You get a new car, you can get the car with option A, or you can get the car with option B, or you can get option C. All of those things don't make a difference in how the car drives. It makes a difference in how you, like, enjoy the bells and whistles, whether you got heated seats on both sides, but it does not um, um, deteriorate the function of the car. Okay, but worship is not like that. You don't choose to worship when you want to and not worship. Worship is not a suggestion. Worship is a commandment. Does that make sense? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, this is what the scripture says. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You're like Pastor Mark. It says love the Lord your God with all your strength. The word is interchangeable. Worship the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. That's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. In uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37, so Jesus is answering this question to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in response to them asking him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Because they're trying to trick him up. And he repeats the same thing. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Worship is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. So in Luke, the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 8, so you kind of know the story. Jesus is in the wilderness, right? He had been uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and, and he's hungry, right? And here comes the devil messing with him. Now, let me say this real quick. The devil can't tempt you with anything that's not in you. It's impossible for the devil to tempt you with anything that is not in you. Okay, so if they legalize drug Z tomorrow, none of you are going to go out and start using drug Z because it's not in you, hopefully, to go and use drug Z. But the devil can't tempt you with anything that's not in you. But watch this. The devil starts tempting Jesus. First thing he says, man, I know you're hungry. Yeah, he had been fasting and it was hot. And he says, turn this rock into bread. And he says, it's written, man, shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. The next thing that he tempts him with, he says, hey, I know you're a worshiper. I know it's in you to worship, in your DNA, in the fabric of your being. 
so I want you to bow down and worship me. If it wasn't something that wasn't in the makeup of Jesus, the devil would have never been able to tempt him with that. You were created and commanded to worship. So number one, worship is not a suggestion. Worship is a commandment. Number two, it's more important that God accepts or receives your acts of worship than it is that you give it. It's more important that God receives your praise than it is that you give your praise. You'll be hard-pressed if you look through all the Bible to find any scriptures concerning praise and worship that contradicts these two particular statements that I just made. And over the, the next six to eight weeks, we're going to be talking about foundational principles. We're going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about the word. We're going to be talking about fasting. Mark, why are we going to those elementary things? Because they are foundational principles for kingdom living. Amen. And the kingdom is, and it always will be, the most important part. The foundation is the most important part of the building. You want a really tall building to do great things and last forever, you got to have a great foundation. So we're going to go back to the basics, right, so that we can flourish in what God has for us. Amen? So don't skip church. Whether you're watching online or coming live, do not skip church over the next six to eight weeks. You don't want to miss it, and we don't want to catch you up. No, I'm kidding. We will. You can watch online. So, so let's talk about some, some disciplines of worship, okay? The first one that I want to talk about is worshiping through song. Worshiping through song. What does the Bible have to say about it? Well, in Psalm 147, starting at the first verse, it says, How good it is to sing praises to our God. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. It says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. It goes on and says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds and he prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hill. So you'll go through the Bible and you'll see things like sing to the Lord, sing praises to God, sing songs of thanksgiving, sing for joy in the Lord, sing a new song to the Lord, sing praises and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible is full of the commandment to sing to the Lord. Now, depending on which translation you use and in the context in which you use it, there are over a hundred commands in the Bible to sing to the Lord. Not a suggestion. It must be pretty important if God has put it in the book that many times. Now, corporate worship, I love it this morning. We experienced it and every weekend. Corporate worship is extremely powerful because what's happening is I'm hearing you guys over there, some of you I know and some of you I don't know, but I'm hearing you proclaim the goodness of God and the love of God and the joy of God and declare the promises of God with me. And I hear people on the other side doing the same thing. So when we come together in a corporate setting, Corporate worship is powerful. As a pastor's kid, I grew up in church. I wasn't the good pastor's kid, all right? I was the bad pastor's kid. But I saw an example from my parents, from my brothers and my sisters and the people around me that they worship the Lord in good times and in bad. They praise the Lord in good times and in bad. And something happened in that particular atmosphere. But I need to make a confession. As it pertains to the assignment that I have as being a corporate worship leader. I, I probably prefer leading worship by myself. I, I love my own space. Now you just like hearing your voice. No, that's not it. In a corporate setting, this, this kind of gets me, okay? 
Some of y'all just don't want to cooperate with your boy. You, you just don't want to cooperate. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to, trying to exhort you to sing to the Lord. I'm reminding you that you drove past the hospital and you're on the outside looking in instead of the inside looking out. You, you drove past, come on, you drove past the cemetery coming that way. You weren't burying nobody today. You were on your way to church. And I can't get you to cooperate me with me to save my life. Now, one time, it was a while ago, and this guy doesn't go to our church anymore. He's, we're still friends. But he's like, Mark, we get it. We get it. You don't have to keep, you know, encouraging us and, and challenging us to worship. I was like, no, you don't get it. He's like, Mark, we get it. I was like, you don't get it. He's like, well, what do you mean you don't get it? I'm like, if this is your posture in worship, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether. If that's your posture and your attitude in the midst of corporate worship, then no, you don't understand the power or the purpose of worship. See, if I'm just worshiping by myself, I got to worry about y'all, right? <laughs> I don't. I have to worry about you guys. I can just get my praise on because I can encourage myself. Amen. But worshiping through song, it's important. Now, don't get me wrong. I love corporate worship. And, and, and I, I look forward to, with great expectation, what we're doing corporately. For those of you who don't know, I had a, a surgery and my, my vocal cord was paralyzed, right, for like five, almost six months. And I came, I snuck in probably the only time I've ever been late to worship because I got a brace on my neck and couldn't talk to nobody. But I snuck in, sat on the back row, and while y'all was worshiping, I was whistling with everything that was in me. I was like, Lord, I ain't got much, but what I got, I'm going to give you. But I needed the corporate worship setting, come on, to carry me through that moment. Because what I couldn't do for myself, I was dependent on y'all to do it. Amen? And, and, and you didn't let me down. So I'm grateful for corporate worship. But let, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about corporate worship. In Colossians chapter 3.16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And, and might I emphasize in this moment that there's nothing like the power of corporate worship. What I can't do on my own, we can do collectively together. And I reference Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, right, who are at midnight, they shackled in the middle of the jail, right? I'm thinking, it's one thing to go to jail, but why you got to put me in like ankle cuffs and handcuffs and put me in the middle, right? And like the old jail, okay, they start worshiping. Shackles came off. Prison walls came off. There was an earthquake. People could have had a jailbreak. That's the power of corporate worship. I don't know about you, but I want to experience some of that. And that's something that I can't do on my own. Sing to the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Amen? The next one that I want to talk about is worship through service. Worship through service. Now, catch this. If you can write it down, if it's not on the screen. So God is not blessed or glorified simply by the love that you feel. God is blessed and glorified by the love that you show. Say it again. God is not blessed and glorified simply by the love that you feel. God is blessed and glorified by the love that you show. Come on, people don't even benefit from the love that you feel. People benefit from the love that you show. 
if you're in a relationship and you just feel some sort of way, but you don't never tell them, they don't know that you love them. Does that make sense? Love is a verb. It's an action word. At least that's what DC talks is. <laughs> Worship is an action word. Amen. In Matthew 22, again, we go back to the same scripture. So this is after Jesus is answering the question about what the greatest commandment is, which is to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says the next greatest thing that you can do is love and serve others. That's what he said. The next greatest thing, love God, love people. Serve God, serve people. See, when you serve the Lord and his kingdom as an act of worship, you bring glory to the Lord and you validate your love and affection for him. Well, how, how do I do that, Pastor Mark? Well, Jesus said, ah, oh, you saw me in prison, you fed me. You came and visited me, thank you. You saw me hungry, you brought me some food, thank you. You saw me, I didn't have no clothes, I was all beat up on the side of the road, you came and ministered to me, thank you. They're like, Lord, when did we see you in prison and come and visit you? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you naked and clothe you? Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. When you worship the Lord through service, God is glorified and you're blessed. Now, I've been here for a long time uh, at, at the church for quite a while, and I know the answer, but I'm going to just ask you. Would you consider Capital Church to be a worshiping church? Yeah? So if that's true, and I believe it is, then this is what I believe. I believe that we should be a church that outserves every other church in the city or at least leads the way on how to serve. Why? It's not a competition. I said this to somebody because I do all these service projects, right? And I'm like, my wife and I, we try to outserve one another. And, and it's a competition because I want to hear God say, when I stand before him, Mark, you outserved your wife. And be like, yes. <laughs> you shouldn't be competitive like that. But, but watch this. If I outserve and outbless my wife, who really wins? She wins. I might get the title, but she wins. So as a church, if we outbless and outserve every other church in our community, who really wins? The people that we are serving actually really wins, and then God gets the glory. So if we're going to be a worshiping people, I think that we should worship not through song, but we should also worship through service because God is glorified when we serve others as an expression of our worship to him. Amen? And if you don't think that's biblical, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus proclaims, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. So we're taking his lead. Worship through song, worship through service. The next one I want to talk about is worshiping through obedience. Worshiping, living a life of worship through your obedience. Now, we used to sing this song back in the day. I am a friend of God. I remember that. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. We're singing it, and I love it. It was a great song. And then the Lord's like, that's not biblical. I'm like, what do you mean? It says, positionally, we are children of the most high God, sons and daughters. But the Bible says, you're my friend if you do what I say. You're not a friend of God if you don't obey the word of the Lord. John 15, 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm singing the song and thinking that I'm a friend of God, but I'm not doing what God says. I'm lying. Ah, you're being too hard on it. That's what the scripture says. I'm just the bearer of good news today. Look, your obedience proves that you love God more than you want your own way. Your obedience to God, your obedience to the word proves that you love God more than you want your own way. 
I can take you through the Bible. I can't, I, I can't believe for, for everything that's in me, I can't believe that Abraham was just really excited about sacrificing Isaac. I've been waiting for this kid for a hundred years. Now he's here and you want me to take him on the mountain and sacrifice him? Okay. You can't believe, you can't tell me that Daniel was excited about going into the lion's den. He says, I'm not going to disobey God trying to please you, Nebuchadnezzar, or whoever you is, so send me to the lion's den. We're going to play with some cats. Come on. Abel obeyed God in spite of whatever it was. David did the same thing. Your obedience proves that you love God more than you want your own way. Does that make sense? 1 Samuel 15, I take you to the Bible. I'm backing up everything with scripture today, so get ready. It says, but Samuel replied, 1 Samuel 15, 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Obedience in the Bible is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Worship the Lord through your singing. Worship the Lord through your service. Worship the Lord through obedience. And, and watch this. this is, I'm going to try to help you out in this particular moment as far as obedience is concerned. Anytime God commands you to do anything, it's not for his benefit. It's for yours. Anytime God commands us to do anything, it's not for his benefit. It's for ours. Come on, you remember you was a little kid and, and your mama said, don't touch the stove. It's hot. You just wanted to get at least I was a fat little kid. I was always touching the stove, right? Getting burnt did not benefit me. Don't play in the street. There's cars coming. You just don't want me to play. I'm fat. I need to lose weight. No, I don't want you to get run over. Anytime God commands us to do anything, it's not for our benefit. And it's not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. And if we could just wrap our mind around that, we would have no problem worshiping God through our obedience. I don't have time for some of these other things. You can write them down. Worship through gratitude. That's what I love about gratitude. David and his thanksgiving went around the normal protocol in order to get into the manifest presence of the living God. But you worship through gratitude. You worship through prayer. You worship through holiness. The Bible says that God is holy. And then the Bible calls us to be holy. Why is God holy? Because I had a hard time. There's no way I could be holy like God. I mean, it's impossible. This is why God is holy. God is holy because everything he does... Is consistent with who he is. There, there's no separation between his character, between his actions, between his words, between what he does. God is holy because everything that he does is consistent with who he is. The scripture in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Watch this. Also in all your behavior. I used to think that holiness was, ah, oh, we can't be holy. He says, you can be holy in all of your behavior because it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. So for us as human beings to be holy, I think is this, to live a life consistent with who God created us to be. You want to walk in holiness? Live a life consistent with who God created you to be. Let your mind, let your words, let your character, let your actions, let them all be consistent with who God created you to be. That's living in holiness, and that's what God has asked from us, right? And watch this. In light of all that God has done for us, there really is no other proper response. I mean, come on. When you think about his goodness, when you think about his mercy, when you think about his grace, when you consider the length from which he brought you from, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I can see. What other proper response is there? 
than to worship and praise your Savior. Come on. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Now, how many of you, just real quick, how many of you know that there's a difference between praise and worship? Only like six of you? This is interactive. I need to know y'all with me, right? So how many of you understand that there's a difference between praise and worship? If you don't, we're going to break it down. Okay, so praise and worship aren't usually the same thing. Sometimes they can be, but they aren't the same thing. And I don't have time for the whole conversation. And so I would encourage you that you should participate in our capital classes when we start them up again. Yes, that was a plug for you to come and participate in adult education. Because Sunday morning, we can't tell you everything that you need to know so that you can be everything that God has called you to be. So you should come out and spend some time and hear Pastor Ken and Pastor Chris and Pastor Shane. And I'm teaching a worship class, so of course I'm going to tell you, come hang out with me, right? But you should come to our capital classes and hang out. They will be good for you. But first of all, here's the thing. God doesn't need our praises. He doesn't need our praises. But the Bible says he does seek worshipers. So now let me explain the difference. The Bible says he commands our praise, but he commands our praise not because he needs it. He commands our praise because we need to praise him. Does that make sense? God is not some egomaniac. He's like, I need you to praise me. I need you to praise me. Make my day. Your praise does not make God's day. Because if it did, then you would be in charge of dictating whether God had a good day or a bad day. God doesn't need our praise, but he commands us to praise him. Your praise doesn't change God. Your praise changes you. Come on, does that make sense? Your praise doesn't change God. Your praise changes you. Come on, we humble ourselves so that we can exalt him. So what praise does is it places us in a proper position or a proper relationship to God. Right? Generally, when you're praising God through the storm, the storm don't change. You do. Usually when you're praising God through a circumstance or situation, the situation don't change. Prayer can make it change, but God is interested in you being changed. And watch this. I, I, I don't like us when we misinterpret the scripture sometimes, but Psalm 22, 3, it says this. It says, in our praise, God is enthroned. In our praise, God is enthroned. Now, there's a song, a rapper, a chance to rap it, when the praises go up. The blessings come down. That's not biblical. Being enthroned doesn't mean the king leaves his throne and comes down and hangs out with you. When you praise God, you elevate yourself to where God is. You begin to see how God is seeing. You begin to process how God is processing. You begin to be encouraged the way that God has called you to be encouraged. That's what it means by in praise, God is made big. God doesn't need our praises. We need to praise him. But there is something about worship that he apparently desires and wants. So in John chapter 4, verse 23, and we'll get to the whole scripture a little bit later, but it says, Jesus said this. He says that the Father seeks worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. And I think that he seeks them because he longs for their hearts. Notice that God is seeking worshipers. He's not just seeking Worship. The Father seeks worshipers. Does, it, does that make sense? And this is what I love about God in that particular scripture, that he's looking for worshipers, not worshipers. He's not after the verbiage of worship, but rather the wholehearted affection of a true worshiper. God is seeking the heart. 
You know King David. If you read his story, you know he made a bunch of mistakes. But God still called him a man after his own heart. David didn't give himself that moniker. That's something that God said about him. God is seeking worshipers. A second distinctive between the two, between praise and worship, is that praise can sometimes be distant while worship is usually more intimate. One writer said that the heart of a man need not be near to God for praise to occur. I've seen drunk people praise God. I've seen atheists praise God. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Yeah, bless the Lord. He, he, they got no relationship with Jesus, but yet they are still able to praise the Lord. I've seen babies who have yet to come into a full understanding of who God is praise the Lord. Pastor Kelly gave a little picture of her boy was praising the Lord. He was in the crib just praising. You don't have to be in a deep relationship, an intimate relationship to praise God, but you have to be in a relationship with God in order to worship him. Now, let me see biblically, biblically if I can help you uh, wrap your head around this. So in Luke chapter 19, that's not on your notes, not on the screen, but you can write it down. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is just a triumphal entry and Jesus is coming into town and everybody's praising him. There's a worship service, no worship leader, no musicians, no uh, power presenter. There was nothing there, but praise was so electric that the Sadducees and the Pharisees told Jesus, tell them to shut up. And Jesus is like, look, if I tell them to shut up, the rocks will cry out. Now, rocks obviously don't have any interactive relationship with the Lord, but yet the Bible says it's possible for them to praise. In Psalm 148, and you can read it, it says that the trees and the moons and the rivers and the sun and the stars, it says they all can praise the Lord. And yet God has no reciprocal relationship with any of, things, uh, any of these things. So praise can happen with or without relationships. Does that make sense? But worship is different because worship happens in the nearness of heartfelt relationship. Worship requires relationship because it requires both giving and receiving. Worship requires relationship, intimacy, because it involves both giving and receiving. One author says this. He says, God gives us worship in response to our pursuit of him. God reveals himself in response to our pursuit of him. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you guys are blessed and content in a relationship where the other person is giving you what they like but not giving you what you want? No hands. You can't be blessed in a relationship where the person is just giving you what they like and not giving you what you want. We we just came through Christmas. And you remember as a kid, you got, you know, underwear and socks and a Christmas present. (laughs) Joy, this is the greatest thing ever, said no one. Bobby wanted the bike. You gave him socks. Susie wanted the Easy Bake Oven. You gave her underwear. They're not blessed by that. Here's the question. Are we giving God the equivalent of socks and underwear when he's asking for worship? Are you giving God what you like instead of giving God what he asked for? Selah. It's more important that God receive your worship than it is that you give it. Now, I got a little soapbox, and you get to hear about it just because I'm preaching. 
Now, this is what I think. As an excuse for people not to wholeheartedly worship the Lord, I get people who come up and say things like this to me. Ah, Pastor Mark, I, I, I don't like that song. I, I don't like that song. Who cares? You don't like the song. You don't make no flowers grow in my garden. You don't put no food, come on, on my table. You ain't shed no blood for nobody to make it to heaven, and you want me to be concerned that you don't like the song. Don't, you should never say that to me. <laughs> so somebody came and said, that, oh, good, good father, I don't like that song. It's just it's boring. It's just boring. I'm thinking, how can singing and talking about the goodness of God ever be boring? In the book of Psalms, in the 23rd Psalm that you read, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If goodness is following you all the days of your life, how are you going to get tired of singing about goodness? I don't, I don't like that song. Yeah, okay. Hey, here's another one. Ah, that song, that song, it doesn't do anything for me. Michael Borner had those, 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 uh, uh, Snowballs, I need some like foam bricks like that. Because if you say that to me, I'm going to throw that brick at you. That song doesn't do nothing for me. <laughs> Come on. Here's the new flash. Worship is not, never has been, and never will be about you. Never. Pastor Mark Francis said it last week. I don't know if you got it because he was talking about sharing the gospel. But he says, God didn't create music for you. He created music for himself. God didn't create worship for you. He created it for himself. Worship is not about you. Now, here's the problem. Because we benefited from it so greatly, we make the mistake of thinking that it's about us, and thus we pervert God's creation. Don't pervert what God has given you and called good and make it something else. Or here's the last one. Uh, I'm, I'm just not an expressive person. Uh, I like lifting my hands. I bet if the police pulled you over and said, stick them up, you put your hands up. <laughs> Get on your knees. You do it for man, but you won't do it for God. Mm. I know it's rough this first Sunday of the year. Let me take you to the Bible. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Here's the Bible. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11. It says, come and let us what? I don't like bowing, Pastor Mark. I didn't say it. Come, let us bow down in worship. Come, let us what? Kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did the day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested me and tried me, though they had seen what I did. Now, let me talk about the desert just for a minute. Why were the people in the wilderness? How did they get to the wilderness? Anybody? Waiting? Who, who, do, who told him to go to the wilderness? Let me help you. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. This is what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. He says, go tell Pharaoh that I said, let my people go so that they can go out into the wilderness and worship me. 
That's what God said. The purpose of them being in the wilderness was to reconnect in their relationship with God. Get to know the God that set them free and that has some plans for them, some good stuff. That they stayed in the wilderness longer than they were supposed to wasn't God's fault. They wouldn't worship him according to that scripture. You saw what I did. Your fathers tested me and tried me, and they saw what I did. So this is what it says in verse 10. He says, so for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So God says, I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Look, when you settle for worshiping God in the way that you want to worship him rather than the way that God has commanded, then you disqualify yourself from experiencing all of the benefits that are a result of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Say it again, because I don't think you got it. When you settle, when you put a period where God has placed a comma for worshiping God the way that you want to worship him rather than the way that God has called you to worship him, then you disqualify yourself from experiencing all the benefits that are a result of worshiping in spirit and in truth. How do you qualify that? God is not obligated to back up what you think. He's obligated to back up what he said in his word. If he says this is the fruit of biblical worship, of kingdom worship, and you don't give him what he's asking for in the way that he's asking for, you don't get to experience the fruit. And then you're mad. I'm singing. I'm worshiping. How come the Lord's not coming down? Anyway. So let's go in the Bible and talk about false worship because we have to believe that if there was false worship that was presented in the Bible, we have to think it's in the realm of probability that we might be guilty of it in our day and time, right? So here's a statement. I think it's on the screen. If not, you can listen. You can take pictures. But as God's image bearers, it is our privilege and purpose to worship our creator. Though it's what we were made to do, we sometimes get it wrong. Again, when the Bible says worship in spirit and truth, it's not a suggestion. So what are the different types of false worship that we see in the Bible? Number one, idolatrous worship. Idolatrous worship. We were never created to worship created things, but we were created to worship God and God alone. We're never to worship created things. We're created to worship God and God alone. Let me show you in the Bible where this took place, right? And you think, that, how in the world could that take place? But it did. So Aaron, you know who Aaron was in the Bible? He was Moses' brother. He's the first priest in the Bible. So basically, he's the worship leader. He's this guy who's supposed to come before God on behalf of the people. Aaron says this. They got tired of waiting. You, you know the story. I don't need to read it all. But it says, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. It says, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And this is what the people said. They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. That's what the people said. This is what Aaron did. Aaron, it says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced tomorrow there will be a worship service to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, the Lord Yahweh. He was talking about the right person, but he was bringing worship in a way that God had not asked for. The priest, the worship leader involved in false worship. How does that happen to us in our day? When you worship the song with more passion than you worship the person whom the song is about, that's idolatrous worship. 
I'm the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When you worship the song with more passion than you worship the one whom the song is about, you've made an idol out of the song. Let me give you an example. Again, this is a soapbox. You can, you know, take it. Don't leave it. Take it. How many of you guys like the song, The Blessing? Some of you are afraid to raise your hand. Some of you have never heard the song. Okay. This is why you like the song so much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That is not a worship song. It's a song. I mean, he's called us to sing psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. And it's a song where we're pronouncing blessings on one another. But that is not a worship song. I don't want you to get stuck in the mind. Say, I'm worshiping the Lord. And then the power of God doesn't come. And you're like, well, what happened? I was worshiping. No, you weren't. You were pronouncing a blessing on one another. I just love that song. I don't like a good father. This is my favorite worship song. That's cool. And we should have them. But you got to make God more important than the song itself. Is that too much? All right. Next one. When you worship the worship leader more than you worship the one that the leader is pointing to, you've made an idol out of the worship leader. Ah, uh, Pastor Mark, I like when you sing the song. I, I, don't like when you, I like when you lead. I don't like when the other person leads. I would say, I, hush. <laughs> You're looking at me instead of looking at the one that I'm trying to point you to. Now, we got youngsters. Some of you may not know who Chandler Moore is. You've, 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 you've heard him sing and heard some of his songs, sings with Maverick City. But if I brought Chandler Moore in to do a worship service next weekend, some of you guys would be like this. Because you got your eyes focused on a guy. I mean, his voice is butter. I ain't going to lie, right? That's good stuff. <laughs> but he's not trying to draw you to him. He's trying to draw you to him. And we stop on the road because we're focusing on the person singing the song versus the one they're, they're singing about. Huh? When you're, here's the last one. When you're more focused on your needs in the midst of a worship encounter or the things that you want versus the person that you're supposed to be worshiping, if there's any semblance of you at all in your worship experience, you're not worshiping. You may be praising. The, the statement is that a man half full of himself can't be full of God. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. So you're in a worship service supposed to be worshiping the King of Kings and you're thinking about your stuff. Man, my fantasy football... Um, I'm just reading people's mail this morning. It's okay, though, because we're going to get it right. By the time 2021 is over, yeah, we're going to get it right. Amen. If in a worship encounter you have any thoughts of you, come on, your needs, your wants, your desires, then you're probably not worshiping. I'm not saying it's not going to be a good time, but it's probably not the biblical worship that God has commanded. So, so this is how I want you to worship. This is how I think you should worship. And I tell the worship team, so Joel, stand up for me. So in this particular analogy, Joel is God. He's sitting on the throne. So don't get big-headed, bro. It's just for like 12 seconds, okay? <laughs> so Joel is God. I'm bringing my worship. Can you imagine me standing in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Lord, bless me and keep me. Make your face shine upon me. Be gracious to me. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk. 
that is not the type of praise that you are going to be giving when you're standing in front of the king of the world. Come on. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. I can't even hit the note. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, Lord. Koki, I hit it. <laughs> Imagine yourself. When you worship, you want to get it right? Imagine just you standing in front of the throne and Jesus is there. What's your worship going to be like? I guarantee you, if you capture that image, you won't be thinking about you. You won't be thinking about your problems. You're like, I am in the manifest presence of the living God. Moving on, disobedient worship. True worship can never come from an act of disobedience. True worship can never come from an act of disobedience. So in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 15, it's a long story. Again, write it down, go home and read it. But this is what had happened. God had implemented a specific way to worship him, and then he had appointed specific people to bring the offering before him. So King Saul was the king, but he wasn't the guy who was supposed to bring the offering. He wasn't the worship leader, right? He wasn't the priest. So he worshiped God. He went in and he burnt the sacrifice and did all that stuff, but he was supposed to wait for Samuel. And he didn't want to wait for Samuel. He said, I'll do it myself. And it was at that moment that God said, I'm rejecting you as being king. Your rule and reign, it's over. Because he brought God what God asked for, but he didn't bring it to God the way that God asked for it. Disobedient worship will never bring the fruit of biblical worship. In the story of Cain and Abel, when you're reading Genesis chapter 4, Cain brought an offering. Cain actually brought his offering first. If you read the Bible, it says Cain brought an offering, then Abel brought an offering. But what Cain didn't do was he didn't bring the offering. He didn't worship the Lord the way that God said to worship him. Now he's salty. He's mad. And God's like, look, Cain, why are you tripping? Verse 7, he says, if you just do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Bring me what I ask for the way that I ask for it. This is what God is basically saying. It's better for you. It's better for me. I mean, everything will be all good. But he refused to do it. Are you bringing God a worship in the way that he didn't ask for, but you're content with it? Let me ask the question this way. Are you giving God what you want to give him, how you want to give it, rather than giving God what he requires in the manner that he requires it? There's a difference between obedient worship and disobedient worship. There's a fruit that comes from obedient biblical worship versus the fruit that comes from disobedient worship. Does that make sense? A couple more. Irreverent worship. Irreverent worship. You, you should never forget the holiness of God. I love this picture. John had a, a moment uh, where he saw worship going on in heaven in the book of Revelations. But Isaiah, in chapter 6, he had a moment. Now, this is the prophet. This is the man of God. How, how many books in Isaiah, like 65 chapters or something like that. It's a long book. God spent a lot of time with Isaiah, obviously, right? There's a lot of stuff there. So he had relationship. But God shows him the type of worship that's going on in heaven, and this is what Isaiah says. He says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Thinking like, you're the prophet, right? You and God, you got this thing going on. But he saw that worship that was going on in heaven. Seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
bowed down worshiping the Lord. The other half, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is good and his mercy endures forever. That's the worship that was going on in heaven. And Isaiah got a glimpse of it and he was wrecked. What image are you getting in your worship time? The Bible says that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So make no mistake, you get something out of the atmosphere of singing. You get something out of worship, but you can't mistake that with the manifest presence of the living God. The Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's everything that you need. It's not just about a feeling. I just feel some sort of way. I listen to Whitney Houston sing and I feel some sort of way. But that ain't the anointing. That's not the manifest presence of God. You need to learn to distinguish between the two. We're often worshiping to get something rather than to give something. Never go into this space thinking, I'm going to get something. No, you've come to give something. This is the biblical pattern. They went up to Jerusalem to give. They didn't go up to Jerusalem to get. That's a whole nother message. Read 1 Chronicles 29 when you get home. That's part of your homework. Last thing, hypocritical worship. So worship is an act of our hearts and it's an act of our hands, right? And so in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, Jesus is confirming what the prophet Isaiah had written before. He says, you hypocrites. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by Men, worship apart from spirit and truth is not what God requires or desires. God requires and desires that worship be based on truth. He is the truth and come from a sincere heart because anything else just won't do. Now, let me show you how that works on this level. I was leading worship a long time ago. Don't worry. He's like, last week? Man, you come a long way in seven days. No, long time ago. I'm singing the song, Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul, live for you. I'm leading the song in the congregation. Holy Spirit starts talking to me. Really? You give me all your heart? You give me all your soul? Really? I'm like, God, I'm trying to lead the people in worship and do my job. He's like, you're lying to me, trying to please people. That's irreverent worship. Ain't no use in me singing, Lord, I give you my heart, and I know I'm holding on to seven sections of it. I, I don't think that pastor came probably until last service he knowed this because I never really told him. I've told kind of other people. But there was one time, again, way back in the day, he was like, hey, let's sing I Surrender All. <laughs> I was like, I'd had that conversation previously about, Lord, I give you my heart. I was like, I'm not singing. <laughs> Lord, I want to surrender all. I want to surrender all. It's a good thing I had Jay on the piano and had a worship team in a choir behind me because somebody else was singing the song, but I refuse to try to impress y'all on the light of God in my worship. That doesn't get me anything. That's just singing a song. If you're going to worship God, bring the worship the way that God has asked you to bring the worship in spirit and in truth. 
Worship team, you can come up. We got, we got this last scripture. Get ready to wrap this thing up. In John uh, chapter 4, and we don't, again, we don't have time for the whole scripture, but verses 1 through 26. Again, go home and read these for yourself. Test everything. Hold on to the good. But God is, Jesus is having this conversation. It's an enlightening conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, okay, if you know the story. So it was unlikely because Jesus shouldn't have been at that well because it was like where the Samaritan people were and all the men were supposed to be at work, right? And so the woman's coming to draw water and Jesus is sitting there and Jesus is like, hey, give me a drink. And she's like, wait a minute, Jews and Samaritans, we don't hang out with one another. It's like Broncos and Vandals. We don't, we don't do that, right? So, and so they, they go through this discourse and eventually Jesus starts reading her mail, telling her about how many husbands she had and what her life was like and so forth and so on. So she's getting uncomfortable, obviously, in this conversation. So she switches the conversation to a theological conversation. That's probably a bad idea to change the topic to something theological when you're dealing with the word made flesh, right? But anyway, she starts talking about worship. Okay, okay, you're so smart. Where's the right place to worship? Our, our, us Samaritans, we worship over here. This is what we do. And you Jews, you worship over there. So this is what Jesus says in his response. It says, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're thinking location. That time is about to pass. It says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers, watch this, that the Father seeks. God commands praise. He's seeking worshipers. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Come on, if it was about location, Paul and Silas don't have that moment in the Philippian jail. If it's about location, we don't have these moments and these encounters that we're having here. Come on, if it was about location, only certain people could worship together at one time. God is seeking the heart. God is seeking people who will worship him the way that he is commanded. And let me tell you this, we are not in a dispensation of time with all the chaos, with all the anarchy that's going in the, on in the world. We are not in a place where we can afford to operate in a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. The world doesn't need another song. The world needs a supernatural manifestation of the living God. There's a fruit and a power that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit from living out these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about. And these things will determine how successful the people of God will be at Victorious Kingdom Living. I don't want you to think that I was picking on you because I'm not picking on you. The Bible says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's why I gave you a bunch of Scripture. But I do want to make sure that we have an understanding of what biblical worship looks like. I don't want to be frustrated in His presence. And I don't think any of you want to be frustrated in His presence. But frustration always comes from failed expectations. And if you expect God to do something that he said he would do and he doesn't do it, you need to check and see whether you're doing it the way that he asked you to do it. 
we're a worshiping church. We're a worshiping people. And whatever God is speaking to you in this particular moment is between you and God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. But as we get into pondering and considering how we can actually worship God biblically, I pray that you will listen to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in this moment. If you stand with me, I'm going to pray and worship a little bit.